Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Something that may not be surprising is that I absolutely love autistic culture and hearing and learning from stories within the culture. That's why I'm excited to talk with Christy Forbes today as we discuss autistic culture and why understanding about it is so important. We also discuss those with a PDA profile and support that can help those with such a profile. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Christy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me wanted to start out like I do with a lot of these episodes and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? It begins with my children, actually, which I know is not uncommon. So my 10-year-old who is non-speaking, I guess because being autistic was more obvious with her, I didn't realize I already had autistic children because I grew up in a family where there is a lot of autism that's just unidentified. And so that was my normal. So I wasn't able to recognise that we were autistic folks until our 10-year-old came along. And I think the more research I did and the more I got talking to people inside of the autistic community, the more I realised, ah, this is actually me we're talking about. So that's how I came to become a part of the autistic community. Now, you mentioned that your child is non-speaking, and something here on Autism Stories I'm passionate about doing more of is interviewing non-speaking folks. So I was, I was just wondering, maybe, what have you learned from your child in best supporting uh, your child as a non-speaking autistic? How important accessing communication is and how, as a society, we have this propensity inside of neuronormativity to prioritise verbal communication or spoken communication. And that does such an incredible disservice, not just to our non-speaking neurokin, but to all autistic people, to many disabled people, because there are times where for me, as an example, as an autistic person, I can go into shutdown and not be able to speak for periods of time. So prioritising communication for her means trialling lots of different forms of communication, whether that be photographs, whether it be letterboards, devices, programs, apps. It's so important that we explore communication for our non-speaking autistic folks to improve on their quality of life so they can communicate not just their basic needs but their hopes and dreams and feelings and thoughts this is so important 
You're the founding director of Intune Pathways, which works towards social change built on the foundation of inclusion, equity, and support. One of the principles of Intune Pathways is radical acceptance, which I love. How would you define radical acceptance in terms of supporting the autistic community? It's so funny when people ask me that, now I hear the word radical and I think how <laughs> sad is it that we call it radical acceptance because it's just acceptance. We are accepting that autistic people are autistic people. We are our normal. So rather than seeing us as broken versions of neurotypical, we understand that we are perfectly whole and complete autistic people. And rather than seeking to immerse us in intervention that normalizes, that is compliance-based, that is behaviorally focused, it's far better to explore supports, again, to improve our quality of life and to have us be the leaders of making the choices around what supports we need based on what we want in our lives. So it's shifting from looking at autistic people as second-rate people and understanding that we are, again, perfectly whole and complete as we are, but we need to be accessing support over our lifetime, not just the first five years of our lives. Yeah. Now, I heard you talk about autism being a culture. What do you think are some of the important aspects or, or cornerstones of this culture? Yeah, it's so funny when I... It's such a great question and people ask it all the time and I've really struggled to answer it because I felt that it's hard to encompass autistic culture because it looks different for all autistic people. But for me, it's what's perceived as our deficits. So autistic culture is our communication, the way we communicate differently. And an example of mm. that is rather than seeing autistic people as needing to work on our social skills because there's a right way and a wrong way, understanding it as a cultural difference. So there's autistic communication and there's non-autistic communication. And it's like two people from different countries trying to communicate rather than saying, let's put the responsibility with the autistic person to better their social skills. It's about understanding that our way of communication is autistic culture our way of raising our children in alignment with radical acceptance is autistic culture. Our lives may look different because we may not need as much social time or to be immersed or engaged with community in real time as much as non-autistic people. It's about our social networks being online. All of that those are just some examples of autistic culture rather than deficits and things we need to change. One of the programs that you have through Intune Pathways is Intune with PDA, which is a 12-week online program for forging peaceful pathways for families raising autistic children with a profile of pathological demand avoidance. For those that may not be familiar with PDA, what would be important for them to understand? So PDA, it's understood as a subtype 
of autism at the moment, but the research is evolving and ongoing. It's very, the research started in the 80s, so it's very, very young. Basically, it is a person who really struggles to comply with everyday demands of life, such as attending school or brushing our teeth. It changes for everybody. But I guess when we're looking at children, it might be a child who says no a lot or cannot do what their parents request of them. It can be a heightened amount of meltdowns. It can be a child that appears to be insubordinate or disrespectful. But it's severe anxiety, basically. A child who has a heightened threat response and really struggles to go about everyday life. Now, I think about autistic identity just about every day, <laughs> and I'm wondering about this in regards to PDA. Are you comfortable with the language of pathological demand avoidance, or is this something that was created based on neurotypical thoughts on how a child should behave, essentially medical model of disability types of things? Mm, great question. I prefer to call it persistent drive for autonomy. Dr. Wen Lawson, actually, in a conversation with him, um, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I think the trouble is when research comes about or when people are writing about any kind of neurodivergence, as you've just said, it's medical disorder, pathology-based, and we're focusing on the most prominent and obvious behaviours. So we're calling this pathological demand avoidance. There is so much more to being a PDA than just demand avoidance. There's this incredible, insistent, inherent drive for equity, equality, social justice. There's this beautiful sensitivity. And again, this incredible, persistent drive for autonomy and freedom. The one thing I will say, though, is... I really respect the way the research is conducted around PDA. There is an active involvement with those who identify or are recognised as PDAs, which is quite different to the way that a lot of the information about autism has come about. So the PDA Society in the UK, as an example, is just profoundly inclusive they invite autistic adults and children and families to be active participants in the research, which is really, really important. What a concept. Can we get that for the rest of autistic research? Because <laughs> we know there's so many different areas that there's, there's so, so much lacking. Yes. Oh, isn't there? Isn't there? I mean, if we had been active participants from the beginning, we wouldn't be having to have these conversations to educate people about autism in the first place. There's so much undoing to do. There's so much trauma inside of families because they don't know that there's another narrative. It's not just about medical disorder. Uh, there is anxiety for so many neurodivergent people, especially living in a world that doesn't understand or accept their differences. But I'm wondering, in terms of anxiety, does it look different for someone with a PDA profile? Yes. And I can only speak for myself. 
and around my experience as a parent of PDAs, generalised anxiety or the anxiety many people experience. Often it's either revolving around a particular thing, you know, um, an unfamiliar environment or a new experience or not knowing something or having enough information, meeting someone new. Being autistic means we often experience generalised anxiety than the average person because of our sensitivity to change and a need for, some of us need that routine. For a PDA, the anxiety is present most of the time and it looks very, very different. So sometimes people find it hard to believe that PDAs are anxious because we can be sometimes abrupt or come across as a smart aleck or appear really, really confident. However, the anxiety for me presents in the form of like a flash of anger. So if anything in my environment, a person, place or thing threatens my freedom, my choice, my autonomy. As a child, I would have gone straight into meltdown or rage. As an adult, I've learned to sit with discomfort, to process the information before responding, but I still have that neurobiological response of anger. If somebody uses language that is triggering for me, which could just be, you go and sit over there, that would incite that PDA anxious response for me, which I would feel very triggered by. Now, you mentioned about uh, when you are differences between being a child versus being an adult. Thinking about that, are there ways that parents should look at their child with a PDA profile? How do they go about best you know, managing those situations? I think this is really, really challenging for so many families because it appears to be so radical. So we're looking at the concepts of collaboration, collaborative parenting, rather than having an authoritarian or a, somebody in charge of the child, which is how we understand conventional parenting. We are holding space for the child and we're collaborating. That doesn't come naturally for many of us as parents because we've been conditioned socially and culturally to take charge as parents. It can be very, very hard for families to adjust to that approach. I mean, a PDA child will demand, will command that you hear them, that you really hear them, that you show respect. One of the characteristics is that we don't understand or acknowledge social hierarchies, which for me isn't true. I absolutely understand what social hierarchies are. But my need to be heard cannot be compromised by the fact that someone is older than me or that they have a degree in something. In the same way that I respect others, I would expect to be respected as well based on who I am and how I show up in the world. Children will have that expectation too. Just because you're a parent, you're not going to be able to tell me what to do with my time. Mm -hmm. And this can be so challenging for families. But it's about constantly evolving open dialogue and exploration for what works for us as individual family units. There's no one approach that works for everyone. And just in general, do you like what would be some supports other than kind of like that working 
relationship and collaboration? So using non-directive language. So an example of that, as I was saying before, if somebody said to me, go and sit on that chair over there as a child, I would go into a threat response, fight, flight, freeze or fawn, and I may not be able to move. And what might come out of my mouth is no. But what's really happening is I can't because of the language you've used. But as a child, I can't communicate that because I don't have the insight into what's happening for me. Yeah. As a parent, I wouldn't say to my child, go and sit over there. I might say, there are so many seats. Which one am I going to choose? Hmm. I'm going to choose that one. So it's more about modelling. It's about using non-directive communication and allowing the child to choose for themselves but opening up possibilities. Is that making sense? It makes a lot of sense. What about like when a parent, you know, so often it seems like the favorite word of parents across the world are no. What would you say about parents using no with a child with a PDA profile? Yeah, a lot of people would say, well, sometimes you have to say no. And that's not unrealistic. However, for a child with a PDA profile, saying no might lead them to self-harm or to punch holes in walls. It just creates so much anxiety and fear and it disconnects them from feeling safe and trust. So we would go about it a different way. We might accept that the child needs a lot of information around why this is not okay. So we might have an at-length discussion about their feelings, our feelings, but keeping in mind they may not be receptive to our feelings because they're children. So they may not have the capacity to recognise and identify our boundaries. So when children want a lot of information about why you're saying no, they're not being smart, Alex. They're not challenging us. They're genuinely needing information about why they can't do this Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I think... It's not unrealistic to say no, it's just the way we do it. Beyond this conversation, how can people learn more about your course, In Tune with PDA, and all the other great things you do with In Tune Pathways? So you could visit my website, which is christyforbes.com.au or intunepathways.com.au, and... There is the 12-week program in tune with PDA and a 12-week program which is not PDA-specific for families raising autistic children. And I also have a really beautiful membership space where families and neurodivergent people, we are in community together. It's really respectful and kind and gentle and I just feel so privileged and honoured to be able to sit in space with so many families Yeah. Well, Christy, I really enjoyed the conversation and learning from you and just the energy that you brought today. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much to Christy for the conversation. Something that I was so thankful Christy talked about that I think is just so important is the need for autonomy for autistic people. That's something that I see so often with Autism Personal Coach, especially when we are first coaching clients and the lack of autonomy in their lives when we first meet them. If you're looking for more autonomy in your life, Autism 
personal coach is here to coach you to figure out how to be able for you to make more choices in your life instead of others making choices for you. If this is something you are interested in, then book a free call with me today to learn how Autism Personal Coach can help you with this. The link to book the call can be found in the podcast description for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss a topic that we have never talked about before, and that is commitment and consistency and how this specifically affects the autistic community. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.